Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. On today's episode, we're going to discuss a couple video games. Um, We're going to talk about Mortal Kombat 11 and Days Gone uh, for a short period of time. And then I'm going to do basically a solo discussion of um, Butterfly Kisses. It's a movie I've been wanting to talk about just in of itself in its entirety and uh, go more in-depth into the film and what it's about and uh, what my impressions of it were and uh, kind of my overall thoughts of the film. It will go into spoiler territory, um, so when I begin to talk about it, uh, you know, we will go and I will give a a spoiler alert in case you have not seen it so that... um, you're not getting anything ruined for you because this is a movie that needs to be experienced and does not need to be ruined. Um, If you're wondering where you can go ahead and watch it, um, if you want to pause this and go check it out before listening to the rest of the episode, you can catch it on Amazon Prime for free. It's streaming on there right now. And um, so, you know, go and watch it. I mean, it's a a great film, uh, and I'm looking forward to really talking about this. I had been meaning to do a solo episode uh, discussing this film. In fact, uh, a few weeks ago, I had actually sat down to record, and um, something was going on with my computer that I didn't quite get it to record uh, right. So um, instead of turning out something that was subpar, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I was in it, and I was giving it all my all, and everything was working with it. So, um, and just a few more upcoming things uh we do plan on reviewing avengers endgame on the podcast uh although it will probably be in the vein of how we did the us episode where it's going to be myself i believe Cortland, uh and my buddy uh, patrick in new york and we're going to kind of do a roundtable discussion where we discuss the you know our initial feelings about the film did we like it did we not like it kind of our review score and then we're going to go more into a uh, in-depth discussion and dissection of the film um, because there's a lot to kind of delve into and a lot to kind of uh, speculate about the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So uh, I don't know exactly when we plan on recording that episode. It will be within the next couple weeks, though. Uh, Cortland has seen it. I have seen it. Um Pat has not gotten a chance to see it yet, so we're just kind of waiting on him um, because he's kind of going to, you know, round out the discussion, and, uh, you know, I want to make sure it's not just two of us going back and forth, that, it, that you know, if uh, if I liked it and Cortland liked it and Pat didn't like it, then we can have more of a kind of discussion debate about the, about the movie, so look forward uh, to recording that episode and just kind of stay tuned to my, my Twitter uh, for an official announcement of when we're recording and when that episode will be out. Um, now, uh, as for recording, uh, I know I kind of te- technically took like almost two weeks off there. Um, partly I was planning on recording Avengers last weekend, um, but did not get the chance. Um, like I said, Pat had not gotten a chance to see it yet. Uh, so we were kind of waiting on him and with how popular the film is right now. Uh, and I also kind of wanted to give everybody, uh, you know, ample time to get out to the cinema and see it. 
and uh, I didn't want to, um, you know, try to, I, I didn't want to get something out and then, you know, people would be upset that, that film was ruined for them or that, uh, you know, if they wanted to listen to the podcast but they haven't gotten a chance to get out and, and watch the film yet that they had to wait a while to do it. So I think, you know, two weeks after the release is, a, is, a, is an adequate time. I, I did forget also there's one quick um, review I'm going to do on the Shudder series Critters and New Binge. I've been promising Wendy, uh, a Twitter follower of mine, uh, who lives in the UK, who does not have the ability to uh, stream it on Shudder UK uh, for some reason. I, I'm sure it's licensing you know, issues between countries. Um so at the current time, at least as far as I know, as of recording, uh, people in the UK don't have access to it. Um, so I've been promising her for a while now that I would I would review it on the podcast, and uh, so we'll talk about that uh, really briefly. There, it's not super long, and um, and I'm not going to go too in depth into it, but I am going to give kind of my general thoughts on that. Uh, so with that that said. Um, I'm going to switch gears and, and kind of talk uh, about Mortal Kombat 11. Um, I'm only going to kind of do a story review because that's really all I've gotten a chance to kind of delve into and complete. Uh, I've done a little bit of the of the towers and some of the time towers, uh, and I have some thoughts on it, but I haven't really, you know, really tried hard or really have devoted a whole lot of time into doing that aspect of the game yet that I don't feel like it's it's uh, right for me to review that aspect I will say that um, it seems like it's going to be a little bit grindy but from what I've seen from NetherRealm Studios uh, they do plan on kind of patching that and kind of relieving a little bit of the grind uh, so if that's the case then you know in a couple weeks once once everything's kind of fixed and patched uh, maybe, maybe I'll be able to do more of a review on those aspects of it um but I probably haven't talked on, on the show yet uh, how much I love Mortal Kombat. Um, I might have mentioned it in a prior episode about seeing the, the first movie, which was my real introduction into Mortal Kombat, the uh, Paul Anderson, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson film, and um, kind of how my parents did not want me watching it. My sister rented it for me. Uh, and then I was a stupid little kid and I had it on out in the living room and my dad caught me and he yelled at me for watching it. Um, so, uh, that movie kind of like, I loved it and I still love it to this day. It, it is not necessarily a great film, but it's enjoyable. And even the sequel to some extent, like I remember being a kid and when, when the sequel came out and I was able to rent it. I was like so excited and I watched it and I loved every second of it. And now as an adult, I look back on it and I'm like, yeah, it's not great. They uh, are a little lazy with some editing. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, a particular scene, um, there is a scene where rain gets knocked into kind of a fire pit uh, to the side of the room by Shao Kahn. And um, later then in the film, when Liu Kang is fighting uh, Baraka or uh, a Tarkatan, because I don't, I can't remember if it's Baraka exactly, because I do believe multiple Barakas or Tarkatans show up um, in the in that movie when he's trying to save Katana. Um, that if you pause it just right, because he knocks 
uh, Baraka in the same spot into the fire pit, if you pause it at the right time, it's just uh, they edited to show uh, rain falling back into the fire. They, they were cutting corners and saving costs. So it's pretty quick that if you don't pause it at the right time, you'll miss it, but it, it's definitely there. Um, so I, for all their faults, I love those movies. And then at the arcade, I would play it at the arcade. I was never really necessarily great at it. I could never, you know, in the old school Mortal Kombat, I could never really perform a fatality, but I loved it. Scorpion and Sub-Zero were always my favorite characters. They still are to this day. And, um, so, you know, I was a huge, huge Mortal Kombat fan and I didn't get really much of them on PS2. I, I would rent them and I would play them and I would, uh, try to do the stories. I would do the conquest mode, uh, especially in Armageddon. And, uh, so I, I really loved them, but I was never like an expert player at, uh, at them. But, uh, when NetherRealm, like, finally decided to release a kind of reboot, uh, it's not really a reboot in the sense that they just started over. It, it takes in account the lore and history of the previous Mortal Kombat games because the beginning of Mortal Kombat 9 takes place at the end of Armageddon and um, ends with Raiden going, uh, not Raiden going necessarily back in time himself, but uh, sending a message back to his past self and trying to prevent the outcome of Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon's events and so what Mortal Kombat 9 does and in my opinion out of Mortal Kombat 9 10 and 11 it's the best story even though I don't like the end and what they did with some characters I understand why they kind of took those different directions um, Mortal Kombat 9 is the best in the sense of story because it takes you through Mortal Kombat 1 through Mortal Kombat 2 and Mortal Kombat 3 and it's made changes but it's it's telling a very cohesive story it has a huge character roster play is i'd say over 50 percent. it's been a while since I've, I've replayed it and uh if rumors that the ps5 might be actual backwards compatible with ps2 and ps3 games i will definitely be replaying it again or if they release a remastered edition i'll definitely pick that up and, and play it um but at a very substantial roster and you played as the majority of the characters from the rosters they almost all each have a, a character chapter within the film or within the game and so narratively it's it's the best uh, and then it, you know, Mortal Kombat 10 picks up after, and then time jumps ahead. And although I didn't quite like that time jump, and these we got a bunch of these new characters, it was still a, a good story. Like it, it did enough with Shinnok. Um, it was a little bit shorter on the chapters, it was keeping it more concise. But you know, we got uh, some new characters that we liked, and we got some old characters back. Uh, we got some characters that they undid the fates of uh, from Mortal Kombat 9 that I kind of really liked. And, you know, so, so spoilers if you've uh, not played Mortal Kombat 10 or Mortal Kombat 9. But, you know, Jax comes back from being a Revenant which because he gets murdered in Mortal Kombat 9. Uh, Liu, Kang, uh, Liu Kang and uh, Katana or uh, Revenants, you know, they both uh, did not make it through Mortal Kombat 9 alive. Uh, Kung Lao is as well. Um, and they kind of become Quan Chi's servants, and then there's kind of this whole subplot that they go to Quan Chi's uh, kind of laboratory and uh, manage to undo it for some of them, like uh, Sub-Zero and, and Jax. Um, so with what Ten does, again, a little bit of a spoiler, you, 
you know, the good guys are victorious, but then we see corruption within Raiden. And it was an interesting way to take it because Raiden, you know, has always been this, this guy who's trying to do the right thing. He screws up in Mortal Kombat 9, but he's always had the goal of trying to do the right thing, but he fails. And he and uh, by the end of Mortal Kombat 10, with the defeat of, of uh, Shinnok, he um, becomes corrupted. And he's not as benevolent and not as uh, he's he's more like righteous in the sense of you know that that kind of fundamentalist righteous where it's their way or the highway because there's a a mid-credits scene through the credits of mortal kombat 10 where he shows up in nether realm and just throws shinnok's severed head onto the ground and um you know warns uh revenant Liu Kang and Revenant Katana that like if they were to ever uh, invade Earthrealm again, he will destroy them. And uh, so it was kind of like chilling, chilling to be like, oh my gosh, like what, what is the next game going to entail? And so the Mortal Kombat 11, from the story aspect, and I'm not going to go into spoilers on on that um, as much as I you know might have spoiled nine or ten. But those games have been out for a while. If you haven't played it, sorry. Um, but it picks up a little bit before that credit scene. Um, and it's Raiden kind of talking about, you know, what he's going to do to protect Earthrealm. And Shinnok kind of explaining to him that, you know, he's he's been corrupted, essentially, by using Shinnok's amulet. And then it shows the severing of Shinnok's head. And then we're introduced to a new character after Raiden walks off, and it's her name is Chronica, and this is the, uh, I would say this is the person that allowed uh, Raiden to go back in time at the at the beginning of Nine uh, to try to prevent certain things because she's a kind of purveyor of timelines, and she's now got this. She's seen that it's it's not turned out the way she exactly wanted it, so now she's going to try to manipulate events and screw up the timeline a little bit uh, by trying to uh, refix everything by starting back at the beginning and re-manipulating events to come out in a different manner. And so, does the game does some really good stuff with the story? Again, like it's a little too short. Um, I don't think 12 chapters are enough, and I don't know if they felt like with Mortal Kombat 9. Now, again, it's been a while since I played it. I thought there were more than 12 chapters. There might have been 24 chapters. Um, Mortal Kombat 9 felt substantial with the number of characters you play through the story you progress. And granted, they had a lot of story to progress through. But with Mortal Kombat 10 and Mortal Kombat 11, there's a, you know only 12 chapters, and while that's nice to kind of have a nice, succinct story and you play as a handful of characters, um, it's really quick. It's really quick. But I did like the added factor of uh, a couple of the chapters have you switch between two fighters. So there's there's a reason to replay those chapters because if you decide you want to play as uh, Liu Kang through the Shaolin Monks chapters through all the fights, well, you're going to have a little bit different uh, interaction if you play as Kung Lao during those things. So what I did when I played it is I started out as Liu Kang for that chapter, and then I switched to Kung Lao, and then I switched back and forth. Uh, and then so there's another chapter that deals with 
Scorpion and Sub-Zero in the same way, and Jax and Jackie Graves as well. So I did like that element. I also like the element that uh, in the final fight, depending on how the outcome of your fight goes, there are technically really only two endings because the, the loser ending is just, you know, it's a given, so it's not really an ending per se. But depending on how your final fight goes with Kronika, um, as she's the boss, uh, could lead to two different um, story outcomes. Fortunately, after several times of trying to get past her, uh, I got the best outcome. And uh, I will have to try to go back and see what the uh, what the kind of the okay outcome is. Um, but it was it's a good story, but at the same time, it. it it feels a little not right um, in the sense of like some of the things they do with it. It's like, okay, well, how does this impact the um, the rest of the like original timeline by the time you get to the end of the, of the game? And it does end on a little bit of a cliffhanger. So I almost have like a feeling like this is the last like Mortal Kombat game. Not, not in the sense that it's going to be the last Mortal Kombat game that they're ever going to make, but like the last one that will follow these particular characters and these particular storylines. Um, but I could be wrong. It could be just the starting point. Because, I, like I said, it does kind of end in a cliffhanger, so we don't quite know where NetherRealm Studios will take this in the future, where Ed Boon wants, wants to take these characters. Um, so, uh, on a story aspect, I'm going to give it, uh, uh, I think, a 3.5 out of 5, maybe a 4. Because, um, I mean, I did enjoy certain moments, but there were other moments that I was like, okay, well, this is cool, but what does this do? And uh, I know that there have been some political stuff about certain characters uh, saying certain things that reflect certain kind of the political climate that we're in right now. It's it's not that bad. It really isn't. It's like you you really got to be looking for it or really paying attention or just like solely focusing on that. And then directly um, comparing it to modern uh, uh, modern day events, uh, so it didn't really bother that me, me that much. And like I know that there uh, was a lot of kind of huff about Jax's tower ending, and I had a conversation with my buddy. He's a Mortal Kombat fan as well, and he's going to wait until the uh, complete edition comes out because you know that's what's going to happen so i spend all this money on the premium edition and then i'm still gonna have to pay for character packs later down the road uh after the first character pack or combat pack i'm sure they're going to release more because they did with Mortal Kombat 10 uh and that's the smart choice but i just couldn't wait um especially i didn't want to deal with spoilers and i just love Mortal Kombat so much um so with Jax's ending they kind of do go a little bit more political with it but at the same time like I understand it, and if they remove a certain phrase from Jax's narration, I don't think nearly as many people would have a problem. Like, I I deliberately did his tower ending, like, second. Um, I did Scorpion's first, and um, I went with Jax's second just to get it done because I was a little afraid. Like, I, I didn't watch anything about... Like, I never saw any video about what actually transpires in his ending. I've just heard people talk about it. And so I was like, oh, man, is this going to be cringe? Is this going to be, like, in-my-face politics or what? 
And other than this one particular phrase, it's really not. I mean, yeah, it's out of Jax's character, but at the same time, if you have the ability to time travel, I mean, we're all going to do things that are out of character for us. So, uh, it's not really that bad. Mechanics-wise, it, pl it plays like any other Mortal Kombat video game. Um, the one hang-up I have is that they changed Scorpion's grapple move. In the past, when, when he does his like little get-over-here moment, uh, you know it stuns your opponent. Well, now they've made it one fluid motion where he, he, he grapples the opponent, brings him near, and does an attack. So you no longer stun your opponent, and never let, you know it doesn't allow you to do any follow-up attacks. If if they had adjusted Sub Zero's attack in a similar fashion, I'd be okay with it. But with Sub Zero, you can still do a freeze and then you know gear up your next attack. So what's the point of kind of neutering Scorpion's get over here uh, move if you're not going to do it? in the transverse with uh or the inverse with sub-zero because like uh, then fine i'll just play a sub-zero and i'll just freeze everybody um so that's just one little one little tiny thing that kind of bugged me mechanics wise uh i did like they've made some new additions although they got rid of x-rays i do like the fact that fatal blows can only be used once per match and that even if you miss then you still have the ability it's got to take a second to recharge so you still have the potential to lose match if you don't you know have enough time to have it recharge but at least like so you go into a fatal blow and your opponent blocks or your opponent jumps or uh they do something just that throws it off just by a hair second you at least have the ability to do it again and say okay well, you were going to do it and miss and then you were man you managed to defeat your opponent you still have it left for the second round so i i kind of like that like i love the x-rays and it's kind of sad to see them kind of go away because they're not gone completely, but they're 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 still there in spirit, but they're not there like they were in, in nine and ten. Um, I I like the fact that you can't spam it, and I like the fact that uh, you know if you get caught in a situation where like you're you're just a, a hair away, and then Katana decides to teleport. Uh, and you just miss, that you still have the ability to do it. Um, so, yeah, uh, a 3.5, kind of 4 around on the story, um, and I will go more in-depth when I've gone in, into the crypt a little bit. I know there's controversy about the grind on that and in-game currency, but from, like I said earlier, I believe that there are some uh, patches that are coming, and they're going to give a bunch of in-game currency because of the frustration and kind of response from people. Uh, I will not say it's the best Mortal Kombat game of the recent generation, of the you know past two consoles, the PS4 and the PS3, uh, or the Xbox 360 and the Xbox One. I think it's still going to go down to Mortal Kombat 9, and that's because Mortal Kombat 9 just did everything right. It was a nice celebration of the history of the lore and everything. And I will say this, although I haven't either unlocked the character or I haven't managed to figure out if he's going to be a DLC character. I love that they have the actor from the Mortal Kombat movie uh, as the character model for Shang Tsung in the game. And I believe he does the voice uh, acting for it as well because he's so iconic as uh, Shang Tsung in the, in the movie. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a great way to honor the actor. So it's really cool. Um, 
but yeah, I think that's where I'm going to leave with Mortal Kombat. I'll, you know, in future episodes of, of the podcast, I'll kind of dip in and, you know, kind of give more thoughts about it once I've delved more into the other parts of the games. You know, I'm going to try to complete everybody's tower. I say that every Mortal Kombat game, and I don't typically get to it, mainly because there's just some characters I can't stand to play as. Like, they're too tough. And, and that is a, a complaint. Like, I was doing the Novice Tower, and I only do the Novice Tower because it's the quickest way to get to a character ending. Um, but even on the Novice Tower with medium difficulty, fighting Kronika as the tower boss is extremely difficult. And, like, they're they're usually difficult in the past. I mean, I, I played Mortal Kombat 2. I played Mortal Kombat 3 when they you know, released them on PS2 uh, or, or PS1. And fighting, like, Shao Kahn and fighting uh, Mutaro and but uh, that they were extremely, extremely tough. But you were still able to kind of get chances to beat them. Even Shinnok and Intend was difficult with some characters. But even with my good character, with Scorpion, it took me a lot of times before I was finally able to beat Kronika. And it's and it's ridiculous. Like, I, I'm not like advocating that we always need to have an easy mode for games i mean i know that was the controversy with sekiro die twice i i don't complain about bloodborne i need to go back and try to finish bloodborne but uh you know bloodborne was is extremely tough but i remember the elation i got from when i beat my first boss and and bloodborne it's not the same for mortal Kombat. like it's it's not that same uh kind of feel it's not not really supposed to be that way but you know, maybe that will get fixed in a patch, or maybe I'm just basic and I don't quite know how to play Mortal Kombat all that well. That could be just totally up to me, but it's just my opinion. So, all right, I'm going to switch gears to talk a little bit about Days Gone. This isn't going to be a review. It's just going to kind of be, you know, a quick first impressions of it, because uh, this is a game that's been kind of, it was hyped up. Uh, some people were cautious about it. Some people were saying it was going to be the best game of the year, best game of the of the decade uh i think it's going to be an adequate game um the i i like the open world of it a little bit the bike is my biggest complaint because the bike is really difficult to handle the control uh i might have to work on some uh on some sensitivity of the controls but uh i just don't understand um some of the hate that it's getting it has sam whitler in there as deacon and i did not know that until i started playing the game and i love sam whitler i think he's fantastic i think the first thing i ever saw him in was the mist and then he was uh star killer and force unleashed and force unleashed 2 and that's where he really won me over and then he did the voice for uh, darth maul in clone wars and rebels and solo uh and he's a very talented actor and he's on supergirl season four right now and although i don't like with what they're doing with season four because it's going too political uh in his character is is definitely a portrayal of certain people in in the real world he's still great in the role like even though i know what his character is supposed to be representative of like he does a good enough job for me to kind of look past that it's the other things about Sir supergirl that have had me a little bit kind of like all right i'm gonna take a, a little bit of a break and not watch this for a bit and then i'll just binge through the episodes later uh i own the season so you know don't come at me for that i i buy all the dc uh, sh- uh shows uh 
digital seasons when they go on sale uh, during the year, and I, I do watch them. So I've watched Supergirl since season one, and there were I had issues with season one as well, but it got better. And then season three was its best season, in my opinion, and then season four kind of went up and down, and it's in a down moment for me right now, although now that they have the Elite in there, uh, I'm really liking that, but they just need to tone down the politics a little bit. I, I understand the character and her origins, but okay, well this isn't a, a Supergirl review, but uh, so Days Gone, like, it, I'm getting more used to it. I like the idea that you have to scavenge and, you know, take care of your bike and, and make sure you have fuel. Fuel does go by quick, though, so, I, you know, you got big stretches of land you got to traverse and if you don't come across uh you know a place where you can get gas like you're you're kind of screwed you need your bike to quick save and um you know it's just and it may be that I, i'm not far enough in it yet right now i really not i've only done a couple of the, of the story missions and a couple side missions so i think it's going to be an okay game it's got some issues and uh, from what i understand again this is something that's being patched out and uh some bugs and some some of the controls that are, are causing some issues like i had an issue where you're supposed to sneak past these uh guys in hazmat suits and uh so what it wants you to do is it wants you to throw a rock for a distraction to get this guy's attention well every time i threw a rock and i'd start to go and he turned and start walking away i'd start to go over this fence to kind of sneak behind him or sneak past him and immediately as soon as i would get over that fence he's already turned around and he's like hey and then you've got to restart the whole thing over again uh, so that got a little frustrating, but I finally managed to get past it and uh, and getting more into the story. So I, I really think like it's got the potential to be a pretty decent game, um, but it's not one I don't think I will I will try to finish quickly. I think like it's going to be one that I'm going to play over over a period of time. Um, but I also think like it's been a little bit misaligned in in, in re- some reviews I've seen online. Uh, but you know that's. Just this humble podcaster's opinions on it. All right. So the rest of the episode is going to be talking about Butterfly Kisses. So if you have, again, if you've not seen this movie, uh, I am going to talk spoilers. If you want to hear kind of my brief review of it, go back to the first episode. Uh, One saw step for man, a big, uh, a giant leap for for a film nerd. Um, I gave... You know what? This is going to hold me true. I got. I can't remember exactly what I gave it on there, but uh, ho- hopefully I'll stick uh, to about the right score, at least really close to the score I gave it on there. But I believe I gave it around a four or four point five, and I'm going to stick with that type of rating because I'm I'm very impressed with this film. But uh, go ahead, bow out if you haven't seen the movie. Uh, also, a huge shout out, and if I get your last name wrong, I'm I'm really sorry because I know that there's different ways to pronounce different uh, names. But Nigel Bach. Uh, you know, I was kind of tempted or toying with the idea of, okay, I really want to review Solo um, Butterfly Kisses, but I also wanted to review Solo uh, Bad Ben because uh, Nigel Bach's newest Bad Ben, Bad ben entry uh, is now available on Amazon Prime. It was uh, available before Wednesday, or yes, Wednesday, uh, but, uh, you know, I've only got so much money at the time, but I knew he had said on Twitter that uh, it would be available on Prime uh, on the 1st of May. I plan on watching it this weekend. Um, and so I was kind of toying with the idea, like I wanted to kind of do like a little celebration for him uh, releasing his new movie. 
and talk about his first one. Um, but he he had not heard of Butterfly Kisses when uh, I put up on Twitter this morning about which one I was going to do and have you guys vote on which one uh, I was going to review tonight. And right away, the man was saying, do Butterfly Kisses. He's like, I'm going to check this thing out. And then he watched the trailer, and he's like, oh, I'm watching this thing as soon as I get home. And um, and then later again, after finishing the movie, said, review this one. That's my vote. So huge shout-out to him to being like, you know, um, I love that you want to review my movie, but hey, give this guy his, his due praise. Uh, and and uh, Eric... Christopher Myers, the director of of Butterfly Kisses, was was very appreciative of that as well. And and Eric's a great guy too. Uh, I'm sure he would have been fine uh, with whatever I chose to review tonight. Um, so it was really great to see these two filmmakers interact on, on Twitter and have such respect for each other. And um, and Nigel's praise and and deference, if I'm using that right, I'm not 100 percent right now. Um, Anyways, his humbleness to forego, you know, someone talking about his movie in, in a means to promote another filmmaker. So, you know, you guys are awesome, and uh, I love interacting with you guys on Twitter, and keep up your good work, both of you, because uh, you guys are awesome, and you guys are both very talented filmmakers, and I look forward to reviewing your guys' stuff in the future as well. All right, so the basic premise of Butterfly Kisses is a filmmaker discovers a box of videotapes depicting two students disturbing film projects featuring a local horror legend, the Peeping Tom. As he sets out to prove this story is real and release it as a work of his own, he loses himself and the film crew following him into his project. Alright, so that that's a kind of very basic um, plot synopsis uh, of the film. It's uh, a little more um complicated than that uh in a good way in a very good way so what you have here is a um mockumentary style found footage horror film so what is that that's where you have people who are doing a documentary about the found tapes of a found so with most found footage horror, we usually just get um, the we, we are watching the tapes that were found. We're not having any kind of like open commentary. Usually there's a little uh, kind of plaster thing at the very beginning that says, well, okay, well, these tapes were found here uh, and these disturbing events uh, are what occurred. And uh, then let you experience the story through the eyes of the people that experienced the horrific events. And uh, there have been a few of these um, kind of mockumentary found footage horror films. The Poughkeepsie Tapes is one that comes to mind. Uh, um, you know, Butterfly Kisses. Uh, kind of the new newest uh, Blair Witch movie, but it, it turns too much into more of a, of a found footage film later on. Um, there, no more are coming to mind, but I know that there's a few more out there. Uh, or at least that tried to, to do that uh, type of aspect. But I think that this is the one that does it the best. Um, I reviewed the Poughkeepsie tapes with Crystal of the Horror Nights End podcast on her 
show. It was, uh, I think, a couple episodes after or an episode after her review of Butterfly Kisses. And if you want to hear her thoughts on that movie, please go check her out. Awesome podcaster. She works hard on her stuff. Um, you've heard her here on this show before. Uh, she does a really good in-depth uh, uh, discussion and analysis of the film. So if you, if you're, if you like what you hear here, uh, or you want to hear somebody that says it has a little bit different things, go to her podcast um, and listen to her episode. I said that the that Butterfly Kisses does this far better than Poughkeepsie Tapes because the problem with the Poughkeepsie Tapes is it doesn't integrate its found footage, the found tapes, into the overall narrative that well. Um, it's really hard to follow narratively. Whereas with Butterfly Kisses, Eric does such a fantastic job of weaving Gavin's um, journey and then intermixing the found footage tapes of the two film students in to kind of show this journey that although at the time you, you don't see the parallels of Gavin's journey versus the two film students journey until you probably get to about the end of the film and um, it, it's very similar. It's different means, but their journeys end the same way. So really, uh, that's what sets it apart for something like the Poughkeepsie tapes, because the Poughkeepsie tapes just it didn't it didn't keep me in engaged with it long enough. Whereas Butterfly Kisses had me from the get go. So the film opens up with um, the female film student sure I get her her character name correct here um, uh, one second guys I should have been more prepared for this um, well I know Feldman is the is the male um, filmmaker uh, Sophia Sophia sorry sorry apologies about that Sophia and Feldman are the two filmmakers but uh, are the two film students. And um, so it opens on Sophia and she's talking about, uh, you know, these, she's figured out how to beat it uh, and to play uh, the end of this tape um, at the end of watching everything else. Um, so basically, you know, she says, okay, play it up to this point, cut it out, and then replay the whole thing at the end uh, and she's leaving it as a message for whoever finds the tapes and then we're introduced to Gavin York and Gavin is uh, almost 40 he was a film student um, but he's not been very successful he's married, he has a son and he's uh, primarily a, a wedding photographer slash videographer um, and so his uh, in-laws move into a new house and uh, his father-in-law finds a box of tapes near the furnace. And they're all kind of numbered, but one is, is labeled the final solution, which was the first part of, of the movie that we saw before we were introduced really into everybody else in the rest of the film. And uh, so Gavin has hired this film crew to follow him around and document his journey of trying to prove that the thing 
things that transpired on these tapes was real. And that um, the two students that disappeared were um, were real people and that the thing that they discovered or the thing that they unleashed was real. So as we're following Gavin on this journey, we, we also find out that Gavin is very strapped for money. Um, and in fact, as a, as a pain point later on in the film, he starts taking from the savings money that they put, put away. Uh, and he's also doing this documentary during the busy season of when he should be working uh, on on uh, on uh, the uh, on weddings, you know. So it's like it's their busy season for weddings, and here he is spending all of his time and all of his money doing this film project, to which his wife is not very thrilled about, and I don't think anyone's wife would be very thrilled about that. So. Um, we see more of what the film students, what Sophia and Feldman were doing. Uh, so they are doing kind of like a, a, a final project for film school, excuse me. And um, they decide that they're going to kind of do a documentary about this local legend called the Blink Man or Peeping Tom. And at this um, particular uh, train track tunnel, I believe it's the Ilchester Tunnel. Uh, apologies if I've got that wrong, but um, they uh, if you stare down this tunnel at one end, and you stare at it for an hour straight without blinking, you will see the Blink Man, or Peeping Tom. And then every subsequent time you blink, he will get closer until he gets to the point where he's right up to your face. And when he um, gets up to your face, he will uh, blink his like eyelashes. Uh, his eyelashes are so long that when he blinks, like he'll blink them up against your face and it'll be where like the term butterfly kisses come from. And uh, so, and, and the person that usually has the blink man come up to him, I believe dies. Uh, or at least, you know, that will be what will eventually happen. And so they, you know, try to get a, um, they kind of find someone who's like kind of a, a staring contest champion and they try to have him do it and he can't do it. Uh, he makes it like about like 14 minutes and then he just can't quite, just can't quite do it. Um, and so they decide that they're going to set up a camera because camera kind of acts like an eye and so the camera can stare down the tunnel for the whole hour at night and um, capture, maybe capture this peeping Tom, uh, this Blink Man character. And um, they also have other interviews. They interview, you know, with, with, a, with a person who's kind of like an eye, uh, an eye doctor, an optometrist, talking about how kind of like the eye relates to a camera uh, and then they talk to and I, and I really appreciate the attention to detail on this uh, kind of the if you're familiar with the weird state books like weird Ohio weird Pennsylvania weird Maryland uh, there are books that kind of talk about urban legends and kind of weird factoids about particular states and cities and, and areas within those states uh, they got the actual writer of I believe it's the weird Maryland um, uh, book and uh, 
the two film students are interviewing him, and it's the actual person. Like, if you were to go onto Amazon and look for this particular book, you will find out that this guy in in the uh, documentary uh, is this is the actual writer of that book. So it's really cool, uh, like an a- added level of detail. In fact, Eric himself is the director of the film crew, um, and and he does such a fantastic job. You do not see him through most of the film, but you hear him a couple times off screen, and then near the, more near the end of the film, you see Eric on screen. Um, so it's it's great because it adds this level of realism to the film. That's that's the whole point of the mockumentary aspect or the documentary aspect of the film, and that's what kind of gra- that's what drug me into the film. So as you're they managed to capture the image of the blink man and they find that every time they turn the camera off they the blink man gets closer and um they because they take the they take their footage to uh their um advisor or their teacher and they at one point feldman moves the camera and the battery's about to die and it looks out onto the rooftops of some of the campus buildings and um, then uh, it turns off and it turns back on and Feldman captured the, uh, you can see it in one of the frames that the Blink Man's there on the roof across the building. Uh, and it's re- really cool and really well done uh, film technique. And also another interesting aspect about it, everything that's of the found footage stuff is in black and white. Um, and so if you're not a fan of black and white films, you might not like that aspect, but I, I thought it was really cool. Uh, I would like to see a colorized version of it, but I, I don't need it. Um, I think it's very effective in what it tries to do, or what it is doing and what it needs to do. That uh, and, it, and it helps dis, you know uh, distinguish the two narratives. You've got Gavin's narrative and his journey, and you've got Sophia and Feldman's journey. And uh, I think it does a good job of like you know keying in the audience onto whose aspect we're, uh, you know, whose eye we're seeing the, the events through. So, um, Gavin's whole point is he wants to prove this is real. He wants to make kind of his name and his butter by proving that these events actually happened, that Feldman and Sophia were real, that the Blink Man's real, uh, that this urban legend is an actual thing. He takes it to, uh, some ghost hunters and, and some paranormal societies and and they're not quite quite sold on what he's presenting, and in fact, like as as the story progresses on it in the film, like they basically tell him you you faked this, and and he gets very upset with that, and basically says, well, screw you guys, who needs you? You guys aren't aren't needed. You're not popular, whatever. Um, and that's again, Eric does such a fantastic job with this in, in the writing and in the directing, like really what uh gavin's thing is is it doesn't start out this way but then it should but it becomes this is the deterioration of gavin gavin starts out as an empathetical character and then he becomes unempathetical near the end of the film because like you can understand like we've all had those moments where we feel like we should be doing more heck it's part of the reason why i started this podcast i love talking film but i'm working my my nine to five job and it's not necessarily what I want to do with my life. So that's what I'm doing this podcast for. It's, it's, it's doing stuff that I really actually have a passion for and, and to interact with other people who love film and love talking about film. And a 
although I would love to make it a job, like it, it's it's not going to make me any money, but you know, it, it's still good. It allows me to express my thoughts. It allows me to express my feelings. And also as being kind of an introverted person, and it may surprise you with the length of some of these podcasts that I'm introverted, or even with some of you that interact with me on Twitter, who I love every single one of you guys, uh, I'm, it, it's hard for me to meet people or it's hard for me to be able to talk about these things with certain people. Cause not everyone loves these loves this medium as much as like I do I've I've grown up on film I've loved film I minored in it in college and so when I get to interact with some of these actors or not actors but directors sometimes actors or, or writers uh, on Twitter and just being able to you know people else out there it's a really good tool so I can I can empathize with Gavin like he he, he didn't make it from film school he wasn't successful like some of his other peers uh, or other people he went to school with who have found their kind of passion or have found their careers or have become successful. Um, and so he's, he's kind of making this his last ditch effort. If he can't make this into this amazing film that's going to blow everybody away and make him a whole lot of money and make sure he has the money to take care of his wife, make sure he has the money to take care of his kid, uh, then it's worth nothing. And, and you get that kind of same portrayal, uh, that same kind of story from Sophia and Feldman. Like Feldman is has kind of been in school for a little too long, and Sophia is trying to become this great documentarian. And uh, they're they both on a previous project that gets revealed later when uh, people are trying to kind of tear apart uh, Gavin's uh, premise that these tapes are real. Um, they said, well, they tried uh, that they faked an interview for this award winning, uh, the school award winning documentary that Sophia and Feldman shot. Feldman doesn't get the award. Sophia does. So uh, Feldman's pissed about it. Feldman wants to be um, kind of the director or kind of the person that's in the spotlight. So, and, but yet Sophia does. And Sophia wants to be this very impressive filmmaker. So these characters are all trying to compensate. Are not even necessarily compensated, but they're all trying to reach this this level that they feel like they can't attain, and that they they've got to take these extreme risks. And it's really impressive, and it's really well wrought, uh, thought out, and it's really well executed in this film. And as I've got IMDb pulled up here on my phone, I, I see that someone's review says this is a very bore, a very boring found footage film, and I can see where that complaint comes from, because it is kind of slow at the beginning. But I didn't have a problem with, with that because what Eric is doing with, with that is he's establishing the characters, he's establishing the world, he's establishing the, the mythology of the Blink Man. And like most found footage films, uh, you know, it takes a while until you get to the, the really interesting parts, the parts that kind of get you, the, the, the scare moments or the parts that kind of make your skin crawl. I, I don't know of a found footage that doesn't do that. Even the vaulted original Blair Witch Project, it doesn't start really, really getting scary until the last 10 minutes of the film. So if you're looking at this and going, well, I don't understand why it's so slow or why it takes this pace. And um, it's because one, it's not your traditional found footage film. It's it's a documentary at, at first and found footage at second because the documentarians that follow Gavin around survived the film. I mean, they're there. They're, they put the film together. They put it out there. And 
whereas Sophia and Feldman are the ones who don't make it out of there and who do not, you know, get found. And uh, and there's so many really cool technical effects that my my favorite I have two favorite shots and or two favorite sequences in this film. And there's where Feldman does his little blink test, where he it's got the camera on and he's in kind of like a field, and he goes in front of the camera and he's like blink test one. And then he turns the camera off and he turns it back on. And in the in the background, you can see the, the blink man. And each time, because he gets up to like 42 or he gets even higher, uh, it gets to a really high number. And by the last one, the blink man's like right there, right next to the camera. Very effective sequence, very effective shot. Um and since the fact that really only the camera can see it, Feldman has no idea that he's there. And that's terrifying. Um, so I, I really like that. And another scene, and it also deals with Feldman, is uh, he is sleeping on the couch. And he's got a camera focused on him because, you know, they're, they're kind of the thing is if we don't have the cameras off, he can't, he can't come get us. But as we mo- know with most malevolent forces... Um, excuse me um they find ways and there's kind of a little power fluctuation and um you can there's a mirror up above the couch and all of a sudden you can see the blink men in the mirror and it's it's just a really well effective shot again Feldman has no idea that the blink men's there and that uh that it's, it's coming to get him. And then, you know, there's another good, really good jump scare. Uh, you can kind of see it coming. It's a little telegraphed, but at the same time, it, it, it got me. And as my um, my buddy's fiance, who I recommended that they watch this film, and uh, I, I believe I tweeted at, at, at Eric the response I got from her, uh, was she about pissed her pants at that scene, uh, where Feldman thinks he's figured out how to stop the blink man and he thinks it works, and the blink man jumps right in front of his face, in front of the camera. Uh, so Izzy really got caught off guard by that, but I know Izzy and Pat both really liked this movie as well. They were very happy I recommended it, uh, and uh, they gave Eric a lot of praise for his work on it. Um, so as you get through the, you know, through near the end of, of the movie, uh, Gavin is in a spiral, and this is really where he becomes unempathetic. Um, you know, he's, he had lied to his wife. His wife has left and taken, taken their son, uh, with her and he's pretty much out of money. He's in a last ditch effort. He consults Eric and says, Hey, can we, can we do something? And, uh, we need to get on like a radio show. We need to promote this. And so in his, in his desperate last ditch attempt to try to prove that the footage is real, uh, they, uh, go on a radio show. And they have a lot of people kind of call in and, and, you know, say, ah, this isn't real, this isn't real. And finally, what's really cool is uh, they have Eduardo Sanchez, the director from, one of the directors from Blair Witch Project, call in and kind of say, hey, yeah, you know, we know what you're trying to do here. It's kind of like our film. It's neat, but, you know, hey, don't try to go passing this off as something real. And at this point, Gavin's completely distraught. And... He still releases the like the footage online, and everyone's just kind of tearing him apart and just bashing him and saying, "Oh no, this is 
this is so fake, this isn't real. Um, and so finally kind of Gavin just runs off. And so the, the last few bits of the film are Eric and his crew, like, okay, well, we haven't heard from Gavin in a while. They're at, you know, his wife's asking, you know, if we've heard from him. And finally they get something in the mail and uh, during an earlier sequence, or during several earlier sequences, Feldman has kept a notebook of everything that they've done and, and kind of the stuff that he starts seeing when he starts knowing that the Blinkman is getting close to him. And um, they open up the package and it's Feldman's notebook. And they've not had any like evidence that a Feldman or, or Sophia Crane were uh, at any film school in the area. And like the... I should have mentioned this earlier like so the the age of the tapes to where we're at present time is about 10 years so i believe like the 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 found footage stuff is like from like 2004 and so now we're revisiting it here now in the in the future and um so like they don't have any records of these students uh they don't have any records of them disappearing and they couldn't find the professor they it took them a while to even find the weird state uh book guy and um so like they're like oh my gosh this is crazy and then also um i might have this a little bit backwards i might have this that might come after this next sequence i'm going to talk about but they uh finally hear from gavin and gavin's out at the tunnel and um gavin goes running off like so they get to the tunnel gavin's there gavin kind of is mumbling, saying some things that are a little bit nonsensical, and then he just runs off down the tunnel. And uh, they don't hear from him again. Finally, they, they do, and I, I think I did have it backwards. This is when they get the package, and they have an address to kind of trace it back to. Uh, they get his hotel, or they get his hotel uh, key card. And they go to the hotel, and they go in, they see all this, all this stuff up on the walls kind of stuff documenting the blink man you know it's kind of looking like a conspiracy theory uh cave and um really cool moment uh you know they're like oh my gosh gavin's really lost it and then they one of one of the crew members or eric goes starts going to the bathroom and they and this is where it's really effective because they don't eric doesn't linger on the shot uh, they show us kind of a quick glimpse and then it's gone. Gavin's dead. And um, we don't get quite a full look. And since it's been a little bit since I've watched it, I'm, I'm going to revisit it here because I love it so much. I, I can't remember if there was blood around his eyes or something like that. but Because it's a very quick shot. But we, we know Gavin's dead. And, um, and one of the final things we're left with in the film is that um, there is, they look at, I can't remember how this exact sequence works, but what we, we discover is that with what the camera is seeing through down in the tunnel, it sees the blink man. And when you, when you zoom in on what the blink man, what's in the blink man's eye, or basically what's, what's looking through that eye hole is actually what's looking out at the person that's staring down at the other end. Uh, and it's just a really kind of ooh, chilly moment. Like you're like, oh my gosh, that's really 
it's really freaky, it's really creepy, um, and it's really intense, and, and, and that's kind of, like, right around where the movie ends, so you're still left with the question, like, okay, was this real? Did, did Gavin just commit weird suicide? Like, we now have Feldman's journal, and finally, actually, the last bit of the film, let me make sure I get this right, is actually the final bit from what Sophia said, put this at the end, and and it replays the first bit from what you saw at the beginning of the movie. And what her final solution was is she cuts her eyelids off. And it doesn't quite work, I don't believe. Um, or maybe it did work. I, I, like I said, it's, it's, I'm a little fuzzy on some of the details. I, I need to rewatch it. It's so good that I don't mind rewatching it. Because um, there were other things about, like, I believe that there was a girl that thought she could survive it by staring at the sun and basically burning out her retinas, but she still could blink, and so it wasn't a perfect solution. So Sophia's solution was to cut off her eyelids, so therefore she can never blink. And um, and I think she actually did, now that I think about it, she did survive because they do talk about finding her and wanting to try to talk to her, but they can't get a chance to talk to her. So there's a lot of moving parts in here and there's a lot of really good filmmaking and storytelling and i love how eric you know he our, our main story is gavin that's our main journey we're this is really gavin's story but we're, we're given sophia and feldman's story in in the midst of it and and their journey kind of like i said parallels each other and it's really interesting when you think about it that these are all characters driven by some type of of want or i don't want to say greed but it's kind of like greed because they're all wanting more even though that they're kind of good where they're at now they they're striving for more they want more maybe they're they're trying to grab more and maybe that's why the blink man gravitates towards them more um so i i really love this movie and i i I need to look about buying it. I'd like to buy it on physical. I, I'm not sure if there if it's on a physical release right now. Um, I do know I can get it digitally, which I you know if I uh, if I can't manage to get it um, physically, I would definitely pick it up digitally. Uh, but you know right now it is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. So if you've listened to it, I mean I don't think I gave I mean I gave a lot of things away if if you hadn't watched it before listening to this review. But I don't think I kind of st- I don't think I ruined the in- the enjoyment the discovery of of the events because I, I didn't go too in depth on the like every single story point that the characters go through but just kind of the main hits and the things that really stuck with me and kind of my my thoughts about why these characters kind of resonate with each other why they're more they're more linked than than we originally think. Uh, there's more underlying motivations for the characters to be try- doing these crazy, ridiculous things and and meeting their kind of ultimate fates. And, uh, you know, as I said, that, that review that called it boring, well, you know, it's it's about the journey, not not the destination. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's about the discovery. And we'll eventually get to that end. We'll get to that climax. We'll get to those moments that I that really kind of get your blood pumping but if eric doesn't set up these moments if eric doesn't set up the lore doesn't set up the characters explain the characters to us give them personality flesh them out show us the world they're living in 
why would we grow attached to him? Why would I have a reaction like I had to this film where I, I could identify with some of the characteristics or the aspects of, of Gavin or of, of Sophia or Feldman? Um, you know, I think there have been points where we all feel those moments like, like those characters. And I think that's the credit to Eric's filmmaking, his, his eye and his, and his eye for character. And, and you can feel the work that went into this movie, the, the passion that went into it, because they did their best. And by damn it, they pulled off a fantastic job. I love this movie. And although, like, I, I that's why I have to take a little bit off on, on. I agree that there are some parts that are slow, but they aren't that big and they're not that distracting for me. So I, I think I am going to land more on the four point five range because I don't take off really anything else. The acting is really great. You believe these characters are real. You believe this is in the real world, and um, and Eric is committed to it. And I hope for a sequel. Um. Because I want to know more. I, I want to know what happened to Gavin. I want to know, is the Blink Man real? You know, or did Gavin really kind of pull the wool over our eyes? And I'll give you a little teaser at something that Erica has done. Uh, if you're interested in exploring it more, um, I don't quite know the um, YouTube link. It's on, It's been on my Twitter feed. I might have to retweet it here before long, uh, but if you uh, look it up, it's like a it's a, it's an interview with Gavin's mother-in-law and Eric, and they kind of uh, and this and this interviewer and they kind of um, uh, call to question what Eric put together for a film. Uh, there there seems to be some things that Eric is hiding about this and so I, I'm hoping it's hinting at a sequel I'm hoping that it's hinting that there's more and that he's not done telling the story and that we're still going to revisit this world because I would be very excited for it I, I think it's it's just a, a very well done film and I think it's where Eric's really starting um, with he, I mean it, it's cooking with fire he's, he's done a movie prior to this uh, I, I mean to I have every intention of watching it so I don't know if this was uh, you know really like if it was an improvement on that first one or if he's just that good of a filmmaker that I will love roulette as much as I, I love butterfly kisses I'm start I'm really thinking I will because this YouTube video they did like if he's putting that type of passion in this project if he's put that in his other film his other film's going to be a great film too and so I think any other film he does after that is only going to you know, raise the stakes more. And I'm really excited to see where he takes uh, his career and where he takes these characters if he does a sequel. But even if he doesn't do a sequel, um, I'm down for any other movie he does. I really am. And um, I just, I can't recommend this film enough. I really can't. There, there's so much there and I would love, maybe uh, this will be something that I can do down the road um, with, crystal and and pat maybe get a couple more people watching we have their thoughts on this like we just do kind of another like little retrospective episode uh or i'll put a twitter poll up you know after you guys have listened to this episode see if you guys want to hear some some more discussion about it 
instead of just me uh, kind of giving you my thoughts because I, I would really love I, I didn't get a chance to have the, uh, a discussion with Crystal about it but I know we both really like the film and um, and I know Pat liked the film and I'm seeing a lot of people uh, there have been a couple people that have uh, other podcasts that have just discovered it recently and they're reviewing it and they're liking it and and uh, they're writing articles about it for, for some online publications and stuff. And I think that's a testament to Eric's filmmaking ability. I mean, this is where this is why I say support indie horror. Because some indie horror is far better than some studio-turned horror. Because um, they put more of their passion into it. Uh, like Unlisted Owner, as I, as I put up on Twitter earlier this week. I put my money where I'm at Alpha's. I had some issues with Unlisted Owner, um, mainly just that it, it felt like it was a, a freshman effort. It could have been a little bit tighter. It could have been a little bit longer. I wanted to see more, but I could feel their passion in the film, uh, in the filmmaking. I could tell. I could feel their passion in the story that they were trying to tell. And there are a lot of aspects I like it. And there's a really good. Um, a sequence that I, I, I talked about in a, in a previous episode. Uh, if you go back to, I believe the the uh, beware. Uh, oh no, it's, it would it would be a episode three or four. The one where I talk a lot about uh, about some screeners that were sent to me. Um, I had added it on there as a final review um, because it crossed my mind. Uh, they, you know, you can feel feel the passion and these are the people that haven't been jaded by the industry or that aren't just in it for the money per se but they want to tell these scary stories and they have some things that they can offer even like leaf blower massacre from episode one uh you know i had issues with that but i again i i could feel anthony's passion in that movie i could feel like he was really trying to tell a fun slasher flick with with a twist you know not just using knives or anything like that and um these are the type of people that I, I would like to see more projects from and get more financing for bigger and better things as well because these are the guys that are are, are doing the work and not getting the recognition. Um, you know, you can turn out something like the Pet Cemetery remake, whether you liked it or you didn't like it. I personally didn't. But it, it's, it's tried and true. It, it's a little bored because they, they didn't really introduce any fresh elements into it. Whereas with Eric and doing the, the, the mockumentary aspect of it, um, it was a little fresher for me. It was a little new. Like, I love found footage horror film. I've watched so many. I've watched so many not-so-good ones, but I still enjoy them. And uh, this was like a breath of fresh air into that genre because um, it took an aspect that I did not see a whole lot of in the found footage genre and now maybe we can start exploring that more. Maybe we can do this more documentary aspect of found footage of the people who talk about the footage that's found and, and see where that can take us, what avenues, what doors, what other ways that we can, we can explore some horror uh, in the genre. I think it would be fantastic. And so we have these independent filmmakers who are, who are uh, going down these these paths and trying to do these things and they're not getting the recognition for it and they should be um it's going back to you know my praise for nigel bach you know 
I know there. I've seen some very critical reviews uh, of his his uh, other films. You know what? I could say I don't care about those reviews because Nigel is is putting his all into it. He's putting his own money. He's putting his own blood, sweat, and tears into it, and he's turning out something that is a passion project for him. And if he didn't have fun doing it, he wouldn't do it anymore. And now we're into like movie bad Ben, uh, house on steelman road uh batter ben uh bad ben mandala effect and crescent moon so six yeah with this new one that's six films you know that's awesome that is so awesome that he's able in a, in a time and place that we are at now to be able to sit and make six movies primarily financed on his own or financed through some fundraising aspects and to be able to get these out there and to upload them to, to, to Amazon and stuff like that and to have a fan base because he has one. I've seen it on, on Amazon uh, and I, I'm hoping Eric is getting that fan base too because he deserves it. Both of these filmmakers deserve it and any independent filmmaker deserves it like Jed, o, Jed Bryan from Unlisted Owner. You know, these guys have an eye. They have a talent in some aspects maybe need to be refined a little bit more but i don't care they're doing a good job and that's what needs to be supported so that's my little soapbox be and that's just the passion i have from from how much i love this movie and how much i love a lot of these independent horror films honestly there are horror films that i watch that i had in my watch list that a lot of people would be like why it's so low budget it's got poor acting i see a lot of one-star reviews and i see these i see these reviews on on amazon because i primarily watch a lot of the horror through prime um because they have a far better selection of horror than netflix does currently i i do watch my my stuff from shutter too uh, but even i have the shutter prime channel as well as my regular shutter subscription um so i mean i kind of just i see the amazon prime reviews for those and there will be things where they're like well, the acting's bad, or the sound's bad, or and and they uh, well, I'm usually I'm always a found footage horror fan, and while that may be true, you then go on and rag on it like that, that. That's the whole point of this podcast is you can be critical of aspects of film, but if you really love film and you really love the genre that you're talking about or the type of film that you're talking about or exploring or delving into. You can point out the bad, but do not forget about the good. And I will say some of those reviews I see on Amazon, they do. They do. They, there are some people who try to be very fair, but a lot of people are very cynical. If it's not Blair Witch or if it's not Cloverfield or um, uh, a big paranormal activity, big budget. I mean, if you look at Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, it's one of the best slasher found footage films Uh Ever. I mean, it really is. It, 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 it's a celebration of the slasher genre. I mean, there's so many throwbacks to to other horror films. You have the... Uh, I'm going to say it wrong. Um, I'll, I've, instead of saying the, the name of the creator wrong, uh, you have the puzzle box from Hellraiser in there. Uh, you have the Delta from Evil Dead in there. You have references to Jason, to Freddy, to Mike Myers. Uh, you even have Zelda Rubenstein from, from Poltergeist show up in it. Uh, and Robert Anglin is in it. 
uh, you know, so, and that just reached its, like, 10th anniversary. That's so hard to believe. But, you know, you get these films. Another one that's not found footage, but it's more independent, Midnight Movie. I love that film. There are certain things I don't like about it, but there, but that overall, the just the aspect of it taking place in a movie theater, because, uh, uh, again, being such a lover of film, um, this is why you support indie horror. This is why I go on there and I watch some of these low-rated horror films, because some of them are passion projects. Some of them have diamonds in the rough, that there are shining moments. Not all of them. There are ones that I might start watching and I go, no, I can't do this. But uh, it doesn't mean that someone else wouldn't like it. And I and that's what I, my whole point with these reviews or with the podcast is never to trash on anyone's movies. I know I've gotten a little kind of heated when I've talked about Captain Marvel or some other film. I don't know how, uh, with Hellboy. Uh, you know, there have been some things about those those movies that I didn't like that get me a little heated, but I can't, I can't be upset with someone who loves that movie for what, for what it is or, or can look past it. Um, so I think I'm going to get off my soapbox at that moment. I think I've done enough, uh, grandstanding and enough, uh, preaching and praising, um, the, you know, horror and independent horror. Um, it wasn't really my intent to go on that little diatribe, but uh, this is how passionate I am about film. And this is what I believe about film and, and why I love film so much as a medium and uh, and why in this age of the streaming services, I'm, I'm taking more chances on the films I watch. I'm discovering new people uh, and and new directors, new actors, new writers. Um, and I'm interacting with them on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I've met, uh, Eric and I met on Twitter. Uh, we've had some really good conversations on there. He's uh, even talked about showing up for when I do a Lord of the Rings episode. And I am excited for that. It's really great. Um, I've had some um, some emails from, from some people about, setting up interviews with with some actors or some directors and i would love to do it i had one uh an offer to do it with lynn shay and i pee my pants just thinking about it but i don't quite have the equipment right now to do that full justice um i i want this podcast to be better i want this podcast to be great i want this to kind of reach uh great levels and that will take money, that will take time, that will take equipment. I want it coming down. Everything will be coming down in the pipeline eventually. Um, I've toyed with the idea of, I don't know if, uh, I'm not too familiar with GoFundMe. I know Patreon's out there, but I don't really want to start doing Patreon content until uh, I've got the equipment to kind of match it. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what comes down the road. Maybe I'll get lucky on a birthday here and there, and I'll, maybe I'll finally get that MacBook uh, to be able to, you know, do more with, with effects and, and better recording and better mic. And um, But, you know, it's really cool that I'm, I, I, I've been getting emails for, for those interviews. Uh, I'm getting emails for screeners. I've got a huge backlog of screeners right now, but this has been a great experience so far. I mean, it's still small. Um, 
but I think with each episode, especially when I don't take breaks, uh, I, I'm, I'm gaining more of an audience. Uh, I'm still having issues getting it on the iTunes. Crystal's working on working on that uh, with me. Uh, we're having an issue with the artwork for some reason. Um, my iTunes Connect is not liking something about it. We've got it at the right size and everything. We've got the right file type, but there's something it just doesn't like. Uh, so I might start looking at maybe uh, seeing CastBox uh, is I think one of them. Podbean is one of them. Uh, I need to start getting this uploaded to more uh, different places, but also again that costs money and um, so maybe I'll I'll, uh, I'll reach out to you guys on Twitter and see if uh, some of you are, are you know kind of like the idea of, of maybe doing like a GoFundMe if that's not you know something that's gonna if if I don't reach a certain goal it doesn't just take your money or maybe setting up a PayPal if you want to donate any anything you don't have to certainly do not have to but um, it would help just to be able to kind of start putting it into getting better equipment but I'll reach out to you guys because I'm I'm gonna let you guys decide that I'm not gonna force anything on you guys that you you don't want to do or or don't think is a good idea so uh, I love you guys. You know, it's it's great to see each new listen I get, each new interaction I get, each new Twitter follower I get. Um, you know, I, I have to thank Crystal again because she is the reason why I finally started doing this after I guessed it a couple times on her show. And she's like, you really know what you're talking about. You really have a passion for it. You should get out there and you should do it. Uh, I know maybe I jumped the gun a little bit early because of not having – you know the amazing equipment that some people have to put on their their higher tier uh, podcast, but uh, I, I still love sitting here talking about these films. So uh, go check out Eric on on Twitter. Go uh, go check out his other film on Amazon uh, Roulette. I, I I've been meaning to watch it. I'm I'm going to add it to my watch list. Or it's on my watch list, but I'm going to add it to my kind of watching next year uh, really soon. Um, heck, even Nigel Bach, go check him out. Go check out the Bad Ben series. Uh, you know, give him a shout out on Twitter. Uh, they're they were so nice to each other on Twitter today. It just blew my mind. It was great to see these these filmmakers. Uh, you know, just having a great interaction with each other and 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 supporting each other. So, I think that's going to do it for this week's uh, episode of Critics Not Cynics. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see you guys next week I think we might get the Avengers episode in I might have a surprise episode uh, drop maybe midweek if I'm feeling um, feeling up to it and feeling like uh, I, I can do another uh, see we've been going for about an hour and a half right now uh, if I can maybe do about another hour long conversation or a little bit longer conversation about another movie so if not you know, you can still follow me on Twitter. I'll, I'll still be putting thoughts up there. Uh, and um, you, if you guys want any, have any questions or any comments, um, any anything you want shout out on the podcast, just send me an email at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. And you can always follow me on Twitter at criticsntcynics. Um, I've got a great following on there a lot of great people on there uh oh shoot 
Wendy is going to kill me. Okay, this is a little tag thing for for uh, Wendy. I almost forgot this, I, even though I announced it at the beginning of the show. Uh, a quick review of Critters, A New Binge uh, on Shudder. Um, this is going to be super quick because uh, I'm running out of time here. Um, it's fun. Uh, I, I don't think that they should have done it in a show format because the episodes are super short. I think the longest maybe runs about 11 or 12 minutes. Uh, the shortest run one runs about eight minutes. Um, it's a little ludicrous, but with anything with the critters, it's always going to be ludicrous. Um, there are some fun knocks at, at politics. I know I don't like I, I say I don't like politics in my entertainment, but th- this stuff was a little bit fun. Uh, it adds new layer to the crites that I don't know if we needed, uh, but it's it's fun. It's funny. There's nice little twists. Uh, it doesn't make 100% sense, that twist, but oh well. You know, it, it, it's fun while it lasted. It's set up for another season. Uh, I think it should have just done a straight kind of like film uh, length release. But uh, I know Shudder's kind of expanding more into their own type of uh, programming. So I can't blame them for doing that. And need a little bit bigger budget as well. Practical effects were fine, but there are some really, uh, really not so great uh, green screen effects. Uh, I'm looking at you running from Australia all the way to the States uh, scene. Um, but it, it, it's a fun little ride. It's not a huge waste of your time. You can breeze through it pretty quickly. I think it, in total it probably is about an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes. I, I'm, that might be generous. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't have that timing exactly right. But uh, I think as a review score, I think I'll give that I'm going to give that 3.5. I had fun with it. It, it. it wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but at the same time, it was great to see the the, the Krites again and seeing the big giant critter ball and the, the hot dog uh, eating contest is really fun. Um, and, you know, now we have this new uh, Critters Attack, I believe is the name of the, the new one that's coming out by Warners on digital here soon uh, with D. Wallace starring in it. It, it, it does, I don't know, that, that kind of, I think, hurts one and the other. Um, you know, it's 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 taken away, I think, a little bit from a new binge, but at the same time, I think a new binge is taken away from attacks as well. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that film is. I definitely plan on watching it. I do need to pick up the, the Blu-ray box set of the original Critters, and I am an unapologist fan of Critters 4. It's not great, but I love it. I love the For some reason... And they're really gimmicky, I know it, but I love the in-space movies and horror films. Like Leprechaun in Space, it's awful. Effects are awful. The story's awful. The practical effects are awful, but I love it. It's fun. Jason X, I love it. It's great. Um, uh, Critters 4, it's great. I mean, it's it's fun. It takes the Critters into a new, new, uh, new place where we have a quite explored a whole lot yet so uh you know uh, uh, <laughs> it's like texas chainsaw massacre of the next generation a, a, a movie that's finally now starting to get some some recognition uh from some people i loved that one in fact i think it might have even been the, about the first real texas chainsaw massacre movie i've seen and i know it's almost universally panned on it panned by everyone it's now starting to get a resurgence and, and kind of a small following, and I still state it is almost the origin of Matthew McConaughey's all right, all right, all right, 
But uh, yeah, that's a, a quick review for Wendy for uh, a, for Critters a New Binge. I've been promising that for her for a while. Uh, I hope they be up, they're able to get that over onto the um, uh, onto the UK uh, so she can experience it because she's a huge Critters fan. So, all right, guys, that's going to do it for this week, uh, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye.